If you happen to have been turned away from children's ministry this morning, you're in good company because Joseph and Mary got turned away from children's ministry on the first Christmas, okay? So you're, you're, you're in good company. It's okay. Um, we actually have had lots and lots and lots of people, especially in the 9 and 11, we were having a discussion on what we can do to free up some space. And then yesterday, Renault called me and asked me to preach. And I'm just, I'm just really pretending that those aren't related, that those don't have anything to do with one another. So we'll just imagine in our minds that that's not the case, okay? So we'll just do this. Now, while we're imagining, I want you to imagine something else. I want you to think back to a very powerful, very painful memory, okay? High school tests, high school exams. You got that? Now, some of you are going to have to look towards the future because you're not quite there yet. That's okay. Uh, let me tell you, they're bad. Um, now, when I was taking an examination, and then maybe it was maybe junior high, I don't remember, but I know I would turn the page and then all of a sudden, uh, and the light would come because I would hit the matching section. Because... <laughs> It didn't matter how little you studied, you can wing the matching section, right? I mean, just drawing lines from one thing to another, and they're, they're easy, right? You have the dates and the person, or you have, you know, what things relate. You know, Caesar, does it go with salad? Does it go with Orange Julius? Does it go with the Ides of March? But it, it all works, right? See, matching is so easy for most of us, because sometimes when it comes to matching our clothing, it's okay. It's okay. You're amongst family. You're amongst friends. If you have trouble matching clothing, you're also in good company. Because 11 years ago, when I met my wife, she had trouble matching clothing. Yeah, she did. She did. Uh, my wife loves colors. She loves all the colors. Um, I, on the other hand, I like shades of black. Um, if I'm really feeling positive, I might wear some gray. Uh, and so today, you can tell this is a good day, okay? Uh, I just really feel like black brings out my personality. And so that's why I wear that color. Uh, but my wife, on the other hand, all the colors of the rainbow. She loves them, loves colors. And so what I would say is when she would come over with an outfit that... Um, didn't match, uh, I would say she's just having fun with colors, right? And, and she, she is one of the rare people that can pull it off. She can make it happen. Um, I took art in high school, a lot of art classes. And so I remember the color wheel. Do you guys remember the color wheel? You've got red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and purple surrounding this circle. And what I was taught is the farther apart two colors are, the better they're going to match. So if they're opposites on the color wheel, that's a perfect color combination. So you've got blue and orange, You've got yellow and purple, and you've got red and green. And those are perfect color combinations. So if you're wearing, uh, if you've got a shirt that's green, and you're like, oh, what matches this? Red. Red would match that. Now, just a little hint. The closer it is on the color wheel, the less likely it will match. So any of you that are wearing red and orange right now, it's okay. It's okay. You are welcome here. We bless you, but you do not match, okay? It's just the way that it is. It's just life. It's just facts, okay? So now, matching colors. If you struggle with matching colors, uh, then, then you really feel for my uh, junior high guidance counselor because my guidance counselor tried to match up junior high students with future careers, and that, that's hard. That's difficult. We took these tests. I don't know, you remember this, where you had to write the things that you enjoy, the things that you don't enjoy, the things that you're good at. And then all of a sudden you got this printout of things that you would be good at in the future. Now, I don't know what her percent of success was, but I don't know anybody in my class that is doing what was on that sheet of paper. But that's nothing compared to dating websites. 
okay? I don't know how they match people. This is one of the most difficult things in the world because we can have all the same interest in the world, but I'm selfish and you're selfish. And when you try and put us together, that's tough, okay? I want to know what their percent of success is on the first match, the first one that comes up. Because over time, right, over time, you're probably all right. Your percent might be fine. But the very first match is difficult because you're putting humans together. And putting humans together is a very, very difficult thing. It's a very, very difficult thing, right? Um, All of us that are married, we know that Disney lies to us as children. (laughs) Happily ever after does not exist. It's, it, it just depends on where you stop the movie. Because in Cinderella, they stop it when they're in their carriage on the way to the honeymoon. It's happily ever after. But they mute the audio so you don't hear the argument that they're having in the carriage, right? Because Cinderella got up early that morning. She was cleaning like she has done every day in her life. And that really embarrassed Prince Charming because he's a prince. You know, they own stuff. And, and it was just, it was awkward. It was weird. And they fought. But we end the movie before that because it was happily ever after. See, people are very difficult. And so what happens as humans, when something gets hard, we move on. We move on to something that we think will be easier, think will be more comfortable, think will work better. And so what happens naturally in our world, especially in our American society, is we navigate towards very homogenous groups, groups that are very similar, groups that are the same, groups that look alike and act alike and talk alike, like Patty Duke and her cousin, right? They're, they're just very similar, Okay, that was, that was for the older generation, right? We, we, I want to I honor all age groups with my jokes, okay? So, so we'll say something about, uh, you know, the, the Powerpuff Girls in a second. Now, now, here we go. Okay, so that's what happens. And in our country, we're very divided, very segregated, lots of stuff like that going on. So I'm so thankful that the church is not like this, right? Wait, what? why is that funny? I mean, we're, we're perfectly united. We, in fact, we will go to a church and we will stay there forever, no matter what, unless they change the music style. I mean, we, we will stay forever in a group, no matter what, unless maybe they switch preachers on us. And we will definitely stay together no matter what, unless they stop serving donuts. <sighs> yeah, yeah, that's why we have donuts, even at the 1.30 and the 5 gathering, because otherwise people wouldn't come if there weren't donuts, because we're so committed to unity in the church. It's just the way that we are. And, and I, know, I know it's kind of funny. Um, you know, we even have a term for it. We church shop, right? We go to, to different churches to see one that just is the most comfortable for us. It just fits just right. Um, and, and that's kind of the way that we do it. It's just kind of a normal cultural thing that we do, even within Christianity. But I tell you what. When the church looks exactly like the world, there's something wrong. There's something really wrong. And I tell you what Paul says in Romans today, it's even more convicting than that. Um, If you've been with us for any stretch of time, you know we're in the book of Romans, which is a letter that Paul wrote. Paul was one of the first church planting missionaries. He planted churches all over the Roman Empire. And he wrote this letter to the church of Rome. It was a church he'd never been to before, but he had some friends there. And he heard about what was going on. And there were some difficulties going on. There were two groups of people. There were the Jewish people. And then there were the not Jewish people. Uh, Sometimes they were called Gentiles. Sometimes they were called Greeks. But you had the Jews and the Greeks or the Jews and the Gentiles. And they had trouble getting along. They really did. Uh, The Jews looked down upon the Greeks. The Greeks looked down upon the Jews. And it, it was tough. And so Paul, to this particular situation, says, I've got the solution for you. It's the gospel. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the implications of the gospel are going to fix this issue. Now, I think sometimes it's easy for me to look down upon uh, the Jews in this situation because they were looking down upon other people. And I think, really? I can't believe you were doing that. That's so silly that you did that. Why couldn't you just get over it? But when you look at the context of the Jewish people and you look at what went on for hundreds of years, you begin to have some sympathy for them. And I think we should. Well, first of all, God chose out a guy named Abraham. And he said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Uh, About 400 years later, they're in Egypt. And there's about a million of them. And they're enslaved under Pharaoh. And then God raises up Moses, who looks a lot like Charlton Heston, right? And he he sets them free using all these great miracles. They cross the Red Sea. And then when they're in the wilderness, God gives them the law. Moses goes on Mount Sinai. He gives them the law. Now, the Hebrew word for that is Torah. Can we all say that? Torah. Torah. Okay, about half of us can say it. Good. Now, Torah. I love the Hebrew language. It has these words. They're so powerful. Torah or law. Right? I mean, it's just it's better in Hebrew. Okay, so the first five books of the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that's the Torah. That's the law. God gave that to them through Moses. And in that, he said, I am choosing you out to be my people. Now, I'm choosing you out so that, to be my people so that all the nations will be, will be blessed. But... To be my people, you need to look different and act differently. Because I created human beings to look and act a certain way. But ever since sin entered into the picture, human beings have gone crazy. And so it's just normal that my people, the people who live and act according to my law, are going to look and act differently. And so God gave them some things that they could do to look differently, to separate themselves from the nations. And the first thing was circumcision. So all the guys on, on their eight days after they were born, they got circumcised. And that was a Jewish thing. It was a Jewish thing. The other nations didn't do that. Uh, they also obeyed Sabbath laws. So the Sabbath, which was what day of the week? Saturday, Saturday. If you said Sunday, I don't blame you. That's okay. Um, But Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath. Uh, They would work six days a week, and then on the Sabbath, they would rest. In fact, a lot of nations thought that they were lazy because they didn't do any work on Sunday. And so when people from a different nation would become Jewish, they'd become a proselyte, they they would make fun of them for being lazy because they didn't work on the Sabbath now. They thought that's why they were doing it. Uh, They also had these purity laws. And these purity laws separated those people who were religiously clean from those who were not religiously religiously clean. And this affected everything you did in society, but especially mealtime. You weren't supposed to eat with anyone who was religiously unclean. So you had all these things that separated out the Jewish people from the other nations. And over time, the Jewish people began to think this was the point of the law. The point was to separate us from the other nations. The point was so that we, Jewish people, would be the people of God and the other people, the other nations, would not be the people of God. That was kind of the mindset that began to happen over the centuries. And on top of that, as people ruled and reigned over them, as they oppressed them and enslaved them, and they began to really hate the outsiders and the outside world, it really exacerbated the problem, right? And so you have these Jewish people who look at the world and we are the Jewish people. We are the people of God and we know it by the things God gave us that separates us out. Now those things were called the works of law or the works of Torah. The things that delineated between a Jewish person and a non-Jewish person. In light of that, let's grab our Bibles. Let's jump into Romans. 
Romans chapter 3, if you grabbed one of those, uh, the ivory white Bibles on the way in, it's on page 1042. If not, it's Romans, which is right after Acts, right before the Corinthians. If you're there, you've gone too far. Turn back left. Um, we're going to start in verse 27, but Paul writes, and, and, and he had just written, and we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, he wrote about the gospel. And he said the gospel is beautiful, and the gospel does two brilliant things. The first thing is it uni- unites everybody, Jews and Gentiles, it unites them under sin. <laughs> that everybody is in the same boat under the condemnation of sin. Everybody. All human beings alike, Jews and Gentiles alike, are together in the same boat of condemnation under sin, justly so. And then it says, but we're also unified, Jews and Greeks alike, in that we are justified by the grace of God as a gift, by faith in Jesus, okay? So it's, it's, it's we're together in sin, and then we're also together in our justification because it's a gift from God through faith. So now the implications of this need to work out when it comes to the Jewish people looking at the separation. Now he'll talk to the Gentiles about this uh, later in Romans, but right now he's really talking to the Jewish people. So he says in verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? This would be the Jewish boast, the ethnic boast that says we are different We are better than you, and we are separate from you. And so Paul says, in light of the gospel, what does this do to our boast? What does this do to the things of the law that separate us? And it says, it is excluded. And the word there, the Greek word, it's a great word, exekliste. It's one of those strong words, exekliste. It's like an onomatopoeia. Do you guys know what that is? It's one of those words that sounds like what it is, like bark. Bark, that's what a dog does. It's the sound he makes. It's also how you say it, right? The onomatopoeia. Uh, my dog, when it barks, it's more like bark, but it's still the same thing, okay? So now, it's an onomatopoeia, and it's like the slamming of a door. You see, when you slam a door, it's like, exa And so Paul is saying, what does the gospel say about our division? What does the gospel say about our boast, our ethnic boast? It slams it shut. There is no room for division within the church of God in light of the gospel. We're all the same under sin and we're all the same receiving the exact same gift of God of grace that we are justified together. Our exclusion, our boast is shut. There should be none of that. And he says, by, by what law? By what kind of law? So what kind of law proves this? What kind of law holds this up? And he says, by a law of works, This would be the things, the works of Torah, the works of law that separate them. Does that hold up the fact that we're unified? No. The works of Torah are actually the things that divide us. They're the things that say we're separate, the things that say we're different, the things that exclude the Gentiles. He says that's not what holds it up. It says by a law of faith. Because the law was never intended to be fulfilled by the works of Torah. The law was always intended to be fulfilled by faith. And faith unifies us. He says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart, apart from works of the law. Meaning that we are justified whether we're circumcised or not. We are justified whether we are obeying the Sabbath laws or not. We are justified not based on the works of Torah that separate us out. That both Jews and Greeks alike 
are united in the family of God, are justified, declared right by God on the same basis, by grace as a gift through faith. Then Paul says, or is God the God of the Jews only? Because if you disagree with me, if, if you're all about the works of Torah, if you think that's what fulfills the law, then you have to think that God is the God of the Jews only. Because if God is the God of the world and God gave you the law and the point of the law was to separate you so the other people could not come in, then that would have to mean that God is only the God of the Jews. But Paul says, uh, is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, of Gentiles as well. God is the God of the entire world. He created the entire cosmos. He created all of the nations, all people. God is over all People. He's the God of Jews and Gentiles alike. And so, God, so now Paul proves this, and he just, he just kills it. Okay, are you ready for this? You ready for this? Since God is one. What? You see that dash there? That's, that's Greek for mic drop, right there. This, <laughs> he, just, he just dropped the mic right there. Since God is one. Now, the reason that we don't think that's so special is because we're not 2,000-year-old Jewish people. If we were, that sentence right there would spark our brains and we would know exactly what Paul is doing. Paul is quoting the Shema. Uh, the Shema came, comes from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. If you want to turn there, we're going to read it. The Shema is Israel's creedal statement, uh, their belief in one God. In fact, um, although there was a lot of disagreement about the different uh, laws and which ones are most important, all rabbis agreed on the most important, uh, the most important law, the most important command, which was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. That was the first and greatest commandment, and this comes from the Shema. So this was very important to all the Jewish people. I want to read it. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it just, doesn't just mean one, doesn't just mean singular, although it does mean that, but it's the word ikad, another great Hebrew word, ikad. And it means a completely and utterly unified one, a one without any division at all. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Lord is unified. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, in the family Jewish store, all of the signs that had Christian verses on there or Jewish verses were the Shema. It was all the Shema. You had that on your doorpost. You had that uh, on your hand, on your forehead. This is what you taught to your children. This is your focus on the family Devo, Devo every morning. The Shema. We would all together as a family say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Over and over, all day long, to one another, to yourself, to your children, at night, 
This was the thing. If, if you were a Jewish person and you didn't know any other scripture, you knew the Shema. This was huge. This was your statement of faith that all the law and the prophets boiled down to that God is absolutely and utterly unified. And Paul uses this to show, to prove that God is the God of the Jews and the God of the Gentiles. Because if God is the creator of all, if he's the creator of all peoples, and if he's utterly and completely unified, then God can't have two separate peoples of God. There can only be one because the people of God are supposed to reflect the character of the unified God. The people of God are supposed to be, are called to be unified so that we reflect the heart of God. Paul is brilliant here. He connects our actions to a belief problem. So often we get confused about what belief is, about what faith is. We're really going to unpack this in a couple weeks. But sometimes we think that belief is just something that we think, something that we agree upon. Uh, James says that kind of faith, it's like the faith of the demons, if you read through the Gospels and you look at everyone in the Gospels besides Jesus, the demons had the best theology. Because every time they see Jesus, they're like, son of God, son of God, you're the son of God, you're the son of God. And everyone else is like, stop saying you're the son of God, right? The demons, they know. They have knowledge, but not faith. And Paul says that faith is more than just knowledge. It's a knowledge that changes the way that we live. It's a knowledge that actually impacts our life. If it doesn't impact our life, James says that kind of faith is dead. Paul says, when you are not absolutely and utterly for unity, it reveals you have got a belief problem about God. That's why he drops the mic with the dash. He goes on, he says, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Prepositions. You got to love prepositions. They're great. He says by faith and through faith. Why does he change it up? He says God will justify the circumcised by faith. This is the Jewish people and the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, through faith. Well, the Jewish people are already a part of the covenant family of God. And he says, you're a part of the covenant family of God, but you're not justified by the things that separate you, by the works of Torah. You're justified by faith. And the Gentiles, who are not yet a part of the family of God, are brought through the doorway of faith. It's faith both ways. It's the exact same faith both ways that unifies us together as one people of God, reflecting the unity of God in himself. One thing that we believe as Christians is the Trinity. And that means uh, that, that we believe in one God who is three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, three persons. It's going to blow our minds it, it just the way that it is. But in the Trinity, there is absolute and complete, utter unity. And I love the way Scripture describes it. The Father is glorifying the Son, and the Son is glorifying the Father, and the Spirit is glorifying the Father and glorifying the Son. The Son is submitting to the Father. The Spirit is only doing what the Father says. And there's just, just community, this beautiful community of mutual submission, mutual glorification, and mutual love that exists within the Trinity. And Paul says our body, or Jesus' body, the church, is supposed to reflect that unity, that perfect love and community that exists within the Godhead himself. And if it doesn't, it reveals we have a belief problem. 
Paul says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Do we destroy the law by this faith? Does, it, does this not work out with the law? By no means. No way. He says, in fact, on the contrary, we uphold the law or we establish the law that Faith, the faith in Jesus that unifies us together establishes the law because it was the way the law was always intended to be fulfilled. This was the point that God would have one people. Genesis chapter 12, when God calls out Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you so that all the families of the earth will be blessed. It was always intended. The people of Israel called out to be a light to the nations, a city on the hill, Always intended to bless the other nations. God was always supposed to have one people group made up of all kinds of nations. Here's the big deal. Here's the thing that we have got to get, we have got to take hold of church. Disunity reveals that we have got a belief problem. It reveals that we've got a belief problem in what we think and believe about God. If we are disunified or if we are even apathetic towards unity, it reveals that we don't really hold to the unity of God. We don't really believe that that the character of God is unified and that we should reflect that. And then Paul does one even better. If you were here a few weeks ago when Phil taught us, Phil talked about all the different beliefs that we have as Christians. There's loads of different beliefs and he put them into three categories. The, the center one, the main one, were things of eternal significance. These were the things that all Christians from all times have believed. Okay, there's not very many of them in there. And then the second, there was a second ring around that uh, that was um, studied conviction. We believe things that are studied convictions. And then the, the outer ring around that were preferences, matters of opinion, uh, things that, that don't matter that much, things that, that we can disagree upon that, that, that's totally fine. What happens within the church so often is we put unity out there as a preference, maybe a studied conviction, maybe. But what Paul does, he says, your disunity reveals you have a belief problem about the Trinity, which is absolutely central to Christianity. That God is unified and we as his body are supposed to reflect that unity. And we don't care about that. It reveals we don't really understand the unity of God. What he calls us to do, what he's inviting us into. You know what else disunity does among the church? It shows the world that we're just like them. That there's nothing different here. There's nothing special here going on at all. It's just the same. It's just another homogenous group that gets along well. Here's what unity does, and this this is incredible. First thing that unity does, the first thing that happens when we are committed, absolutely committed to unity, it says to me and it says to each and every single one of you here today that you have a home, you have a family, you have an eternal family. No matter your age, your race, your sex, your socioeconomic status, you belong somewhere eternally. When we are committed to unity, everybody belongs. Second thing that happens is it displays the incredible character of our God. It shows that our God is loving. Our God cares. Our God is unified. And Jesus said this himself. He said, your best evangelical tool is not the evangelical cube, is not the four spiritual laws, and it's not the Romans road. All those, those things are good. 
He says, your best tool for evangelism is unity. They will know you by your ability to perfectly articulate doctrine. That's not what Jesus says. They will know you by your incredible worship band. They will know you by your your Jesus sign that lights up. They will know you by the kind of donuts you serve. No, he doesn't say that. He said they will know you by your love for one another, by our care for one another, by our compassion for one another, by our serving one another, submitting ourselves to one another, encouraging one another, bearing with one another, carrying each other's burdens, laughing with one another when we laugh and weeping with one another when we weep. This is how people will know that we are God's people, by our love for one another. This is it. This is the way that the world looks in and sees something different and sees something unique, sees something that cannot exist apart from the supernatural working of the God of the universe mightily in our midst. Because we can't do it. We've tried as humanity. We've tried and we can't do it. Only God can do it. The only one that can unify us is Jesus. The only person we can be unified around is Jesus Faith in Jesus unifies the church and it puts God on display. There's an enemy to unity. There's an enemy and he hates unity. He's constantly working against the unity of the church. And we get the opportunity to be invited in to partner with God to fight for unity. Renaud said this and it was beautiful. When we fight against one another, we fight for the enemy. When we fight for one another, we fight for God and for each other. We fight for unity and we display God's character. Let me tell you, anybody can put blue and orange together. Anybody can put red and green together. Anybody can put yellow and purple together. But it takes a skillful, a masterful artist to take all the colors, all the shades, all the variations and weave them together in one beautiful tapestry. The unity of the church declares to the world that our God is loving, powerful, and unified. It declares to the world that they have a place within the family of God. And it reveals the beautiful character of our God who has fun with colors and he makes it work. Red, yellow, black, and white. You are all precious in God's sight. All of you are precious in God's sight. All of you are welcome in the family of God because God does what we can't do. He takes people who cannot possibly be unified, who could not possibly belong, and he forms us together as one body centered around Jesus Christ. Let's join with God in this fight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we need you. We can't do this on our own, Lord. God, thank you so much that you are unified. God, thank you so much that you are so beautiful, so incredible in your unity, in your love. God, thank you so much that you have displayed your love for us through the gospel, through Jesus, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Lord, I pray that we would be captivated by Jesus, that we would be compelled by Jesus into unity. I pray that we'd be so avidly for unity, so actively for unity, so empowered by your spirit towards unity that we would be the generation that sees the number of denominations decrease. God, that we would be the generation that sees a miracle that only you could accomplish, that your church would be reunified and that the world would see that there's something special going on here. 
and that your glory would be had, your name would be declared. Father God, let us be for unity. We need you. We can't do it on our own, Father. We need you. Empower us, change us, help us. We ask these things in the beautiful and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.